My name is Pastor Lucas Woodford. Delighted to be with you. I am the district president of Minnesota South District, so this is my home district. Uh, how many Minnesota folks do we have in here right now? All right, Minnesota's representing uh, a little bit at this time. So uh, this is my face then for you Minnesota folks, for Minnesota South uh, folks who might not know what the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod politics are all about, but uh, I was a pastor for the last 15 years prior to this. So I'm just new in this role of being a district president. And my passion, of course, is in the pastoral ministry and the life of faith. Uh, but I'm also a husband. That's my bride, Becca, on there. And then I'm a father. I have six kids. Isabella, my oldest, she's uh, running around in this crowd. She's 15. But then I have Thaddeus. I have Aletheia. I have Ecclesia, I have Soteria, I have Titus. I'm one of those pastors who names his kids curious names. They have meanings. They're Greek, Greek words. Isabella, you know, that's, but it means beautiful. Thaddeus, one of the disciples. Uh, it means of courage. It can mean of courage. Aletheia, simply the Greek word for truth. Ecclesia, we call her Clasi. That is simply the Greek word for church. Soteria, uh, we call her sote sometimes. That's simply the Greek word for salvation. And of course, Titus is uh, a young pastor to whom the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the names of the books of the Bible. Uh, we'll reference some scripture from him later on. Uh, so one of the joys that I had as pastor, I got to baptize all of my children. Uh, and recognizing that it's nothing in me, though, that is making this wonderful gift of grace occur. It's a gift from God. As Lutherans, we have a profound understanding of God's gifts of grace given to us in sacraments. And it goes with us throughout all the ups and the downs of life. So not just from the moment my kids uh, were baptized, but from the time when I was baptized. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But it goes with us throughout all of life. This session is going to look at the hope and promises that God gives to us, which are very real, which are very present in our lives through his word and sacraments. And they go with us throughout all the peaks and the valleys that we have in life. And I'll share some of my own uh, life experiences that helps demonstrate those promises that go with us. So I was able to baptize my own kids, but in my life, I grew up on a dairy farm in South Dakota. Any South Dakota folks here? All right. Uh, I was baptized at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Millbank, South Dakota, by my uncle, Reuben, who was the pastor at that time. And though the Lord made use of my uncle Reuben's hands and mouth, to pour water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it was the Lord who was calling me as an infant by the gospel, giving that gift of grace. So I started life by the grace of God and lived in a dairy farm in South Dakota. Now, fast forward here about five years. I was a farm boy. My dad on the farm had Holstein cows, milked the cows. And a farm boy loves being with his dad on the farm. 
So on a one rainy day in particular, uh, my dad asked me to come on out and help round up all the heifers from the pasture. And so I was happy to be with my dad. So he gave me a very important job. He said, stand by that door and make sure those cows go in. So I grabbed my herding stick. I had my rubber boots on and my farm cap on and my tattered up coat on and set my face to that rain that was going on and became that epitome of a cow doorman. My dad went out to round them up, push in the heifers. Now everything was going great. That is until Nancy came along. Nancy was an ornery heifer. And Nancy didn't like me. Nancy came up and headbutted me straight into the ground. Nancy then proceeded to start headbutting me and pushing me all across the mud-covered and manure-filled pasture. So here I was, careening out of control, mud flying by, cow pies going in my mouth and up my nose, and I was screaming bloody murder. And all of a sudden, she stopped. And I turned to look what was going on, and I saw my dad had just launched into the air this massive piece of lumber that he must have ripped from the ground with his bare hands, and I watched in awe as it hit its mark and sent Nancy reeling. He traversed that pasture in mere seconds and then came over to where I was. Now, I was a mess. I was covered with mud and filth of manure. I had a bloodied lip. My boots weren't lost. I was standing there crying. Now, tenderness normally wasn't my father's strong suit, but no one could have cared for me more tenderly than he did at that moment. In the midst of my filth, it didn't matter to him, he picked me up and grabbed a hold of me. He said, it's going to be okay, buddy. And he took me back to the house, and he gave me a quick hot bath. It got me cleaned all the way up. In a few minutes, I was sitting safely on my father's lap. Why do I tell that story? In baptism, our heavenly father cleans us up, washes us clean, wraps us in his love and grace through his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of God's Word through the Holy Spirit. When I was bullied by this heifer and my father came to my rescue, it gave me a picture of the love and the grace and the cleansing that our Heavenly Father gives to us in holy baptism. That's the life of faith. Baptism perhaps is a one-time act, but it goes with us regularly throughout all of life. Now, as confirmands, you had to learn and study this about the six chief parts in Luther's small catechism, correct? What I'd like you to do, if you don't already have it, download the app right now on your phone from CPH, Concordia Publishing House, for Luther's small catechism. If you've got your mobile device with you, if maybe you have it already on there. Anyone have it already on there? You get a, a bonus point. Ah, oh, look at that. There you go. Uh, on your mobile device, we're going to talk about this later on. We're in a digital society. 
How many times do we look down at our devices? And why do we look down at our devices? What's the reason for doing it? Is it simply for communication? Is it to distract us? Is it that we might look at something we shouldn't be, spread gossip we shouldn't do? We need to think about that. So the wonderful thing about technology, it can be used for good, too. The app for Luther's Small Catechism is wonderful. It just simply scrolls up and takes a look at it. We're going to take a look at some of these various parts, particularly on baptism and the Lord's Supper this morning, or this afternoon, I should say, and what the life of faith is as we live out under those promises given in the sacraments. So if you've got it downloaded, go to baptism right away. We're going to simply do just a little review. You probably have this all memorized. Anyone who was publicly questioned and had to know the answers to these, I know you've got it memorized. So I'll, I'll take any volunteers who just simply wants to recite it. Otherwise, we can just do this together. What is baptism? Why does it matter? That's a question that I remember asking myself as a student. By the way, I'll say this. Whenever I teach, I have one rule. That rule is the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. So if you have questions or a comment along the way, just throw your hand up. I'm happy to address it. We'll, we'll pause for the moment. That's how we learn best. So if you've got a question, ask. I was always the kid in class who was, oh, I'm going to sound dumb. I'm not going to ask a question. So I would never ask. If you've got a question, ask. One of them, though, I would ask is, well, what does it matter? What does this mean? How is this done? Well, those are Lutheran questions. What is baptism? Well, we need to know what it is first. Let's read the bolded parts together. Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. See, God knows that we're tangible people, physical, real, so he takes an ordinary element that we might consider ordinary, and he combines it with his word. And he gives it to us as a gift of grace. Again, we think, well, we hear it regularly. You see it in church. All right, another baptism. Yay, good. How long is this going to make the service go now? But there's something very powerful occurring. And it's not just merely one and done. It's an ongoing life of faith. Now, of course, we recognize it's not just the water, it's the word of God. So what is that word? Let's read that together. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. From Matthew 28, 19. So we have this wonderful sacrament based upon God's word. We didn't make it up ourselves, and we continue to enact it and obey God's command for it because Jesus gave us that command. Now, not only just we, not only do it just because Jesus told us, but there is a benefit to it. And we study this again. You've studied this, so let's remind ourselves what benefit does baptism give? Let's read it together. It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. Now, which are these words and promises of God together? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
Lutherans have a profound understanding of simple and confessing what simply scripture gives to us about the nature of baptism. Yes, we obey God's command that it be done, but it's not merely an act of obedience. It's a gift of grace that God gives to us. And we receive that gift by way of faith. Now, how do you have faith? God even gives that as a gift as well. So how are how can water do such great things? A reminder again, uh, let's read this together. Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism that is a life-giving water rich in grace, and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, let's keep going, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life, this is a trustworthy saying. Water and God's word gives a powerful gift of God's grace. Perhaps this is review. Perhaps you're rediscovering it again because you haven't revisited this for a while. It's an important reminder for us as we'll take a look at what we learn in the small catechism is not simply brain information. It's also about life formation. It's to form your life that you, as you live through all these ups and downs, as we're going to talk about in just a minute, this goes with you. It's not something that says, yes, I, I got that 100% on that quiz on the third part on baptism. It's about the life of faith that we live in Christ. So then what does such baptizing with water indicate? And this then will conclude our review of things. Let's read it together. It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Now, where is this written? St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here it's very important. We'll be dwelling a lot on this part in our portion on talking on baptism because this gives us a way of life. Another fancy word for it is called an ethic for life. That begins with repentance. And how often is that to occur? Reminds us daily. How do you know what to repent of? Well, by golly, Luther's pretty smart in that small catechism. He took what was in God's word and said, here's a list of ten commandments. You break any of these, repent. And it's a daily life that it gives to us. Now, Again, the question will be, when am I ever going to use this? I'm telling you, it's your daily life, not just for catechesis, not just at confirmation. Daily, beginning of the day, end of the day, 
For those that are comfortable when you begin the day, if you begin it in prayers, you, make, you can make the sign of the cross. Why? Because it reminds you of your baptism. That cross is placed upon you and your forehead and your heart when you are baptized. And it gives you that encouragement of Christ. But again, you say, well, yeah, that's nice, and this is just all head information, but all right, so how does that help me in my daily living? Well, it gives you an identity. Over my years as a pastor, I've served two different congregations, and throughout time, I've had lots of different people come through my office, or I've gone to their homes throughout lots of different challenges and trials of life. One, in one young man in, in particular, uh, and you have friends like this as well, he had uh, decided that he was homosexual at age 19. And so he had uh, same-sex attraction, and he wanted his parents to affirm that. That was his identity, because that's who he thought. And he said, he, and the nice thing was, I confirmed him, talked through, and so we had this good working relationship that he knew, no matter what had ever happened, because I'd talk, uh, tell my confirmants, no matter what happens in life, I can always, you can always count on me that I'll come and talk to you no matter where you were. Some of them I've gone to visit them in jail, making bad decisions. My promise is, just like Jesus, I'm never going to leave them or forsake them. I'm going to walk with them, and I'm going to speak the truth of God's love. In this case, though, he came to me and said, Pastor, I need you to help me convince them that this is who I am. This is my identity. And I said, well, tell me more about this. Why, why do you want this? Well, this is what I believe in my heart, and this is what my, my boyfriend and I want that they would know. Well, you remember when we talked about this, we talked about baptism. Well, yeah, I think I remember. Well, what's your identity? Well, I'm telling you what my identity is. I said, no, uh, God actually gives you our, your identity. God gives you your identity, and you are claimed as a child of God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what does God's children do? They live in God's promises of grace, but also know his word and what his word says on how to lead us forward. Now, this is a summary. I had many conversations with him moving forward, but he wanted me to try and convince his parents, and even for me, to take him at his identity, the one he gets to choose. But you see, when you're baptized, you don't get to choose your identity. God chooses it for you and gives you his son, Jesus, and your identity is now in him. And that goes with you through all of life. That identity that's connected to a promise. In the waters of holy baptism, God has named you and claimed you as his very own child in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you understand that, you can celebrate that and receive that over and over each day, where you understand then whose you are determines who you are and what you do. In other words, your identity informs your behavior and your action. But if we lose touch with what our or who our identity is, what our identity is, well, then we'll start thinking, I can choose my own identity, and I can go about doing what I jolly well please. But of course, as we'll get into later on, that's the devil talking, the lies that he throws at you. You have an identity in Christ Jesus begun in holy baptism and goes through with you all of life, throughout all of your challenges. So here's one of the things I like to explain it this way. I, growing up, I loved the comic books. My favorite, two of my favorite characters, 
uh, Superman and the Hulk, so a DC comic and a, and a Marvel. And of course, I'll, I'll say that the Marvel movies are much better than the DC movies. I'm sorry any DC fans out there. Uh, but the Marvel movies are, are much better. But here's the analogy to take a look at. You have been given an identity in holy baptism. That's your Christian identity. Whose name is in Christian? Christ. His name placed upon you. Well, think about the, the nature of Superman. He would go around hiding his identity, right? Who did he hide it behind? Clark Kent. He'd go around hiding his identity. But there's something, again, for comic book lovers like myself and, and kids who love superheroes, there's something powerful about him of what he can do, but he didn't want the world necessarily to know who he was. So he went around hiding his identity. Now, who was he? He was the son of who? Do you remember? Jar-El, right? And he came from the planet Krypton, and he came to Earth, and of course, the sun gave him these incredible superpowers. But he would hide that often. Now he would come out and use it occasionally, only when people are in need. My point is this. As a Christian, do not hide your identity. You live it out. Whose you are informs who you are and what you do. You live it out on a regular basis. And who are you? You are Christ's beloved children, children of the Heavenly Father. Jesus is the son of Elohim, and he came from heaven to earth to atone for our sins, to pay our price. And then he gives you his everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. He gives it to you, and you are invited to live it out. So don't hide that identity. Because in that identity, it also gives you character. It shapes what you do. It gives you a distinct character. But it also gives you a promise to cling to. Part of the challenge I look at Superman, now we think of him as an invincible. Uh, when I was young, high school and college, I, I, thought I, w I thought I was invincible. I could do whatever I want. Nothing was going to hurt me or, or harm me. And I began to understand this later on when I began ministry. That, that's a common occurrence, a phase of life. I began calling it invincibility syndrome, where people think, well, I've got all of life before me, and what I do now isn't going to make a difference, and it's not going to hurt me. But then all of a sudden, something in life comes crashing down upon you, and you realize that you're not invincible. But even there, we have a promise of one who will never leave you nor forsake you, and that's given in baptism. Of course, he comes alongside of you, so that gives you that hope to continue forward in those peaks and valleys of life. It shapes your living. So this baptismal identity, it allows us to live in faith with hope, but then love, meaning not just love of yourself, of course, but love of other people and loving them confidently because you are loved. And here's the reality. Jesus uh, is united to you through the waters of baptism. Paul says it, for as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And again, baptism is the beginning of Christ's work in you. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. The life you live is Christ at work in you. That's something quite powerful. So God's grace then gives you the strength to live each day by faith and the ability to see him at work in your life. Even when your world seems dark, you still walk by faith, you live with hope, and then you rest in love. And again, Scripture talks this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Of course, that love comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he gave himself as that sacrifice. Now, let's translate this perhaps into some of the challenges that we have to face on a day-to-day -day basis. As students, you recognize we began with, we've got a digital world that we live in. We've got challenges from this multimedia digital age. Now, how do we navigate that? Well, first, we have to know the blessings that technology might be, but also the curse that they might be and the challenges that go with it. The loneliness that we face, the cruelty of being bullied, and, of course, being a bully, the challenges of fitting in, but also of trying to portray your life as perfect. Our social media can be a good tool for communication and interacting with one another, but it, I love the, the, the way it was portrayed. She'd look in all prim and proper and look away and very sad, and life was gone from within her. Because whether, whatever social media app of your choice you use, sometimes you put your identity in how many likes you have on that app, isn't it? But you see, your identity is not based upon that social media app that you have. Your identity has the everlasting, non-stop, not only like, but love of your heavenly Father who promises never to leave you nor forsake you and love you day in and day out. That's your baptismal identity. Your value and your worth is not determined by how many likes you get on your social media account. Though that's what the world that's what your sinful flesh, and that's what the devil wants you to think. To get your attention off of what's in front of you and the life that you have right now. And so it's a great image of simply walking along. You can see them. Now, I know the, the irony of saying, go ahead and YouTube people walking, watching their phones, because I'm telling you to go to look at YouTube uh, and see it. But people going in their phones and they walk into a pothole or walk into someone else not seeing what's going on. It's a distracted life. So that's one of the challenges that we live, uh, that w in the midst that we live. Recognizing, how do we navigate this digital world? But it's not by getting our identity from our social media, but through Christ who gives us our identity. Now, another opportunity or challenge we might have is dealing with just the simple ups and downs of life. One of my favorite characters I mentioned already was the Hulk. Uh, and he's based upon one of the biggest lies of emotions in us, his character, if you will. It's, again, remember, I love the character of the Hulk, but what feeds his strength? Anger. Anger. So he's angry, he's nine foot tall. He gets angrier, he's 12 foot tall. He's super angry, he gets 15 foot tall. 
And the rage going on within him supposedly gives his massive strength. But what often happens when he's exhibiting this anger to all things around him? Great carnage, collateral damage, great destruction comes. Even though he's showing off this massive, awesome, super strength, which we think is cool, and it's good for comic books and good for movies. I'll show you a clip in just a moment of what is dangerous about the nature of anger. But you see, this is just one example of how do I bear up under my identity as a Christian, as one redeemed by Christ the crucified, and deal with the various emotions that come my way. When I'm angry, each of us has our own various dispositions to what we might do when we're angry. You know what you might do right now, or perhaps what you see others do, and you pick up on some of that. If you're angry, do you clench your teeth and your fist? Uh, do you use vulgar language? When you're angry, what do you do? Do you think of, how am I going to get them back? Where is revenge going to come in? You see, this is where the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh love to tempt us in our inherent weaknesses, because we are fallen and sinful people, emotions like anger are difficult to navigate if we aren't conditioning ourselves regularly, where it's this daily contrition and repentance. It's not that we're never going to get angry, and we can be angry. The scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. So the recognition then of what do I do with my anger? And how do I, how does what I know about who I am and my identity shape how I react when I am angry? So here's how Satan works. He tempts us first in our daily stations of life. We call it vocations. Lutherans understand that vocation. In other words, what's your vocation and station of life right now? If you're a student, that's a vocation. If you're a son, a daughter, that's your vocation. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're a church member, a neighbor, that's your vocation. Satan tempts you in those vocations. And he tempts you to sin against others in those vocations, just like he tempts you to sin against God. So it's being knowing how Satan works and how he schemes to try and tempt you and lead you astray. He'll tempt you and lure you thinking, oh, this is great. Look what you're going to be able to have. Anger is one of them. And if we're always angry, it can deceive us thinking we're always feeling powerful because we intimidate people and we can get them to do what we want. But what kind of damage and carnage comes along the way? So if we are always angry, we don't get to have that kind of superpower that the Marvel comics want us to believe that might come with it. Satan wants us to think we will, but you see all kinds of the damage that goes on and the carnage that comes along the way. It's being mindful then, of course, of how Satan is trying to tempt us. But the promise is, of course, that in the midst of when we do lose our temper, because all of us loses our temper in one form or another, that promise still goes with us. And that's where the life of the repentant life, where forgiveness comes in. We'll talk more about then what does sin do to us? Not just knowing these things, but the reality of what is sin doing to us? We'll talk more when we uh, shift our talk to the Lord's Supper in just a little bit. As we wind up, though, on baptismal identity, the nature of being baptized means you can live with 
faith, hope, and love amid a disordered world. Your Christian identity and character is always rooted in Christ. And here's the thing, his virtues. It's an old word, but an important one for us to re reclaim and come back to. Virtues that are given to you through holy baptism. So a baptismal virtuous ethical life begins and ends with daily contrition and repentance with prayer and meditation upon God's word that's rooted in the forgiveness of sins earned by Christ. So this isn't just a mere some intellectual exercise again. If you can take 10 minutes to pick up your phone to look at your social media app, you can take at least five minutes to pray the Lord's Prayer, recite the commandments or the Apostles' Creed, to recognize where there is sin in your life, but also where there is joy and forgiveness in your life, amid all the ups and the downs. So one of the ways of recognizing that certainly is we walk in the virtues of Christ. Now again, what is a, a virtue? It's a good for the betterment of those around us. It's considered a moral good. And this certainly comes from Scripture, recognizing what is good. It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Wisdom is a classic virtue. You look at the fruits of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit produces in us. That is often paralleled to virtues. You can The list of them here, simply for understanding's sake, prudence, which is wisdom, justice, courage, self-control, faith, hope, and love. Where does that all come from? It comes from Christ. It goes right back to what we began with. Where in baptism, what does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam and should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. To drown an evil desire, you first have to recognize what is an evil desire. To put that to death, repent of it. And that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So that gives us, again, our identity and our character and our way of living, way of life. But it also comes with this promise, this promise that we are united to Jesus. Again, Romans chapter 6 we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It goes with us, our identity, our character, and the promise of God. And I'll share a story with you to help bring this all together. My sister Heidi, I grew up, I was the second oldest of four my sister Heidi was the oldest. Uh, my brother Matt, right behind me, he was 18 months behind me, and then my youngest brother Josh didn't come along until seven years after I was born. My sister Heidi, while on the farm, uh, she got cancer at six years old. I was four at the time. And so, uh, having cancer at that time, it was called a Wilms tumor, so it was growing inside her, and they were doing everything they could to try and treat it. But eventually the time came when the doctor said, we, we can't do anything more. It's, it spread throughout her whole body. 
But throughout that time, of course, in South Dakota, in our congregation that we are at, a pastor giving care, reminding her that Jesus has claimed her as his very own, that she's been baptized into Jesus. In fact, she quite regularly knew that. She would be at the hospital getting chemo treatments uh, very often, and uh, my mom would sing hymns, or someone else might come and sing hymns. And uh, if it didn't have enough Jesus in it, she would literally say, uh, Mom, that one doesn't have enough Jesus in it. Why? Because she knows where life is at. It's in Jesus. And it's a reminder, of course, about what we sing. It points to and gives us Jesus. So the time finally came then where nothing more could be done and said, uh, you can take Heidi home and, and spend the time with her that you have left. And so I was four at the time. Uh, and as my mom tells the story, the day finally came. It was just my mom and Heidi sitting in the, the living room uh, at, at our house. And Heidi was sleeping, but all of a sudden she sat up. But her eyes were still closed. And she put her hands out like this. Uh, and my mom comes over to her and says, Heidi, are you okay? And she just opens her eyes in and crawls onto my, lap, my mom's lap and says, Mom, I know where I'm going to go now. I'm going to be with Jesus. And a minute later, she died. Her identity was in Christ. She knew that. Now, my parents knew that. That didn't mean it hurt any less. Of course, it crushed them. And in fact, it's the first time that I remember seeing my dad cry at the funeral, because at first I didn't understand why they were lowering my sister in this box into the ground, and I turned around to look and see and ask, why are they doing that? And I saw both my mom and dad crying. I didn't fully understand. Later on, of course, I would. But even in the midst of that, that sorrow, that hurt, and that pain, there is still hope because she is united to Jesus, the one who gives life. She's united to his death and to his resurrection. That means as she was put into the grave, she will not stay there, but she will be raised back to life. There is life in Jesus. And so that's why we rest on that gift of baptism, even in the midst of life's ups and downs and the challenges that we face. God's promise is to go with us through all the ups and the downs. Through all the challenges that you have, through all the heartaches that you have, his promise is to go with you. Through all the peaks and the valleys, through all life's hills and the dark places of life that you go. His promise is real. And he is present. It's not just some kind of magical made-up thing. He is very present. I think it's no more present, of course, for you than when he says, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Take and drink, this is my blood given for you. His promise is very real and very present. That's why Lutherans call it the real presence when we receive the Lord's Supper. Understand that Jesus promises to be where he says he'll be at. And when he says, this is my body and blood, we take him at his word. We just simply believe what he says. Again, if you haven't got the app, download the app. Just a way, by way of reminder for us again, a little review of what is the sacrament of the altar, the Lord's Supper. 
I'll read these, but you can follow along. It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. And where is this written? Again, we look at Scripture. The small catechism isn't something beyond Scripture. It's simply confessing what the Scripture has. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. This do remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper. When he had given thanks, he gave them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, like he did with simple water, he uses real elements. He takes a visible element and he combines it with his word and therein gives to us the gifts of salvation that Christ has earned for us. So the benefit of this actual eating and drinking again. These words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins show us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Again, how can such bodily eating and drinking do such great things? <clears throat> so it's not just simply like you eating your scrambled eggs at breakfast. There's something more significant here. It's not merely the act of opening your mouth and chewing with your teeth. Certainly not just eating and drinking do these things, but the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words, along with the bodily eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. Of course, there is something to be said about being ready to receive it. Who receives this sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training, but that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared. And so that's why they ought not then go up if they don't believe these things. Go up meaning to receive the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. For the words for you require all hearts to believe. Now again question, when am I ever going to use this? Well, hopefully, as you saw with baptism, learning those things about it, it's not merely for information, it's for the life that is formed by it. Here, too, your life is not simply informed, but formed by the body and blood of Jesus in you, which you receive and eat by faith. So think of it like this, in the challenges and opportunities of life. How many of you have read the books or seen the Harry Potter movies? All right, so you know the characters called the Death Eaters. Are they good or bad? They're bad in those books and in the movies. All right, so they want to bring death to you, and they want to bring uh, death to you in a, a horrendous, terrible way. That's what the devil, the world, and your sinful flesh want to bring. The Bible is quite clear. It says the wages of sin is death. So amid the realities of life that you live, and there's plenty of joys that we can certainly have in life, always know that there are things waging against us. There are things tempting us. Here's where we recognize, uh, again, the brilliance of Luther's small catechism in helping us understand the life of faith. 
Praying the Lord's Prayer, what does that mean to pray the Lord's Prayer? Each of the petitions is designed to drive us deeper into that prayer, particularly this one on temptation. When we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? It means that God tempts no one, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Go back to that video that we watched about uh, the little short snippet on technology. Could you see elements about being misled within it? About false belief that are within it? About despair? You certainly saw that, that young girl the top of the building, full of despair, couldn't take it life anymore, and so everyone's making fun of me, or whatever's happening in life decides I'll just end it. And then there's other great shame, so things that people weren't proud of in their life. Now remember, here's the aspect of sin, two aspects of sin we must be mindful of that affect us this way, guilt and shame. Guilt means you are guilty. It means you did something wrong. You transgressed. You did something wrong. It says you did a wrong thing or you did something bad. Shame says you are bad. Shame deals with your identity. Guilt deals with something you have done. But shame goes to your core and says you are bad. And so when you're suffering under both guilt and shame, the intensity of it, the devil loves it because he can drive you to despair. And of course, the way that can happen uh, is certainly through the nature of how sin has its effect upon us. See, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, sin is more than just, I did a bad thing. Yes, there is guilt with it, but you see, sin is more than what might be considered just a moral infraction, a moral bad deed. There is also spiritual contamination that comes with sin. So when you try to say, oh, I did that bad thing, yeah, it's sin, I'll just ask for forgiveness on it on Sunday, I'll get the Lord's Supper, and it's not, not going to have a big deal about uh, effect on me from now and until then. But here's the reality about sin. You can think about it like perhaps uh, radiation poisoning. Can you see the effects of radiation poisoning right away for any of that know about it? No, it eats you from the inside out. And by the time that you actually see the effects of that radiation poisoning upon you, it's too late and your body is uh, near death. Sin is like that contamination. So think of it like this. I'm a, I'm a hunter. I like to be, do outdoor, uh, go outdoors and be outdoors things. And oftentimes throughout my years of being in the woods, I'd be walking along or I could see up in, the, up in the sky, I could see a vulture and more than one just circling. Why are they there? Why are they circling for? Because they smell something foul. They know something is, that is death is there. So think of sin that way. 
It's foul. It stinks. And the devil and his demons love to flock to it because it radiates and puts off this horrendous, vile smell. It's spiritual contamination. Now, how do you remedy that spiritual contamination? Because left to itself, it will bring death. That's the death eater wants to bring to you death. So how do you remedy that, of course? To be cleansed, to receive that cleansing over and over, of course, comes through the Lord's body and blood. Given and shed for you. Those words, for you. So sin, with all of its effects upon you, both its guilt and its shame, has its remedy in the same Lord Jesus. So when you go to receive the Lord's Supper, you receive that medicine of immortality, certainly we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment, but you also receive the cleansing for sin. And this cleansing comes not just for your guilt, but also for shame. It comes also for those sins that you have committed as well as those who have committed sins against you. 1 John 1.7 says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So it cleanses you from both those sins you have committed and those committed against you and removes that vile smelling contamination that would cause the devil and his demons to flock more to tempt you all the more. So again, the Lord gives you grace upon grace upon grace to shape your life, to lead you forward in this life amid all the challenges, the ups and the downs. So I'll share a, a final story here and kind of bring things to a conclusion. My brother Matt uh, was the one that's uh, 18 months uh, younger, than, younger than I am. Well, we were very close. We grew up uh, doing everything together, uh, which included we fought with each other often. Uh, we'd uh, sometimes do it uh, because we're mad and we thought we were the Hulk and we could uh, overpower the other one. Um, one time I broke my brother's collarbone when I was little, jumping on top of him. My mom was not happy. Uh, she became She-Hulk at that point. <laughs> uh, other times we would box one another, literally just to see who could be the toughest, uh, and would punch one another at bloody noses. Uh, one time I, I had my brother try to punch me in the stomach, and hard as he could, he dislocated his pinky, and I thought I was tough. Uh, because it didn't hurt as bad as it hurt him. Uh, we fished, we hunted, uh, we played college uh, sports together. We both uh, were at Concordia University St. Paul. Uh, we played football together. We were on, both on uh, defense. And um, his freshman year, my junior year, we tied for the conference lead in quarterback sacks. Uh, but my senior year and his sophomore year, he took the lead and won it by a one sack over me. But that, I always said, was because I was the defensive end who had to take a double team, and he was the outside linebacker who only had to deal with one blocker. We did everything together. Our first children were born, his first child, my first child, born on the same day. Um, so uh, we, were, we were very close. 2004, I was serving a congregation in uh, Wisconsin. And we were hosting Christmas that year. So he and his wife and their 
uh, one-year-old, which was the twin cousin, if you will, to our one-year-old, they were coming over to visit us uh, and with the rest of our family. And we had just talked uh, the night before. <clears throat> it was on Christmas presents saying, what did we get for mom? What should we get for mom? And then, of course, um, talking about uh, sometimes it wasn't a normal part. It just happened to be a normal uh, coincidence of our life of conversation uh, that we uh, have about the faith and the confidence of, of you know, our, our faith that we have in our Lord. Well, on the way over, they got up, decided to get up real early and go on December 30th, <clears throat> come across uh, on Interstate 94 over to Wisconsin. <clears throat> and it was, uh, became, it was Minnesota, it's winter, and then in Wisconsin, same deal. Uh, but it was all of a sudden uh, quite cold, and they came on some glare ice on 94. And they hit the glare ice, and all of a sudden the car started spinning out of control. Uh, and from what we can gather from my sister-in-law, um, the, there was a divide, of course, between them, but there was no median blocking them from going over. What happened was he's tried to correct the car and recorrect it, but all of a sudden knew that there was no correcting it, so it began sliding all the way across to the oncoming traffic uh, in 94, which is, of course, 70 miles an hour. So the last thing they knew, they were going to get hit. And last thing that uh, my sister-in-law, uh, that we can remember reconstructing and telling us is, uh, she, they said, I love you and goodbye. And my brother turned the car so he would take the brunt of it, and he was hit and killed instantly. Life's ups and downs. go with the promise that we are united to a death defeater and a death eater. You partake of the Lord's body and blood. You have the power of a death eater coursing through your veins because his promise goes with you not only to cleanse you but to raise your dead body back to life. As Jesus burst out of that tomb, that's the promise that he has given to my sister. That's the promise that he has given to my brother. That's the promise that both of their funerals, it was proclaimed. And through all of life's ups and downs, that's the promise that goes with us through all of life's hills and valleys. We have a real present promise that goes with us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for your time. I pray that the Lord would continue to bless you and lead you forward, that your time here is a, a wonderful experience. But you go forward knowing of these promises that are sure and certain, that are very real and are very present. Let's close with the Lord's blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with us now and always. Amen.